All right, welcome everybody. I'm here with Jason Jones, um, again doing our self-help series on substance abuse awareness. So thank you for coming in. Why don't we just take a few minutes and introduce yourself? We, you know, we're getting so many new people. I know I go into stations um, that I don't know everybody, even though, you know, I've done the last six academies. I can't remember what academy they were in. I can't remember what their last name was. Um, so what we like to do is we like to start off by just introducing yourself. Like, t tell us how you grew up. Tell, tell us how you got interested in the fire service. How did you, tell us a little bit about your journey to getting, getting to here at CSFD. Okay. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, my name is yeah, Jason Jones. I'm a driver at Station One on the C-Shift. I've been on since 2012. And, uh, yeah, before that, I was up in Vail for seven years up at Eagle River. Um, Growing up, my dad was in the military, so we moved all over the world. I lived in Malaysia, lived in three different places in Germany, all over the U.S. I think I moved like 14 times or something like that oh, in 18 wow. years, so all yeah. over. But he ended up retiring at Fort Carson in 2001, in the spring of 2001. Yeah. Um, so Colorado Springs feels like home. It's always kind of felt like home since he got out. and. Uh, went to high school in the Springs. And then after he um, retired, we moved up to Woodland Park, which is where I graduated from. Uh, growing up, I remember being a little kid, always wanted to be a firefighter. Uh, Ray Johnson actually was my Cub Scout leader. Okay. So I remember going to Station 8 when I was just a little kid. And There's a name that my, too many people might not yeah, remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that really sparked my interest. And then, uh, my senior the end of my junior year i went and talked to ray and he kind of told me about uh the avp program at pike speak mm -hmm. where they bring in high school kids so i s actually got into that program and jose and uh, leach both taught me at pike speak at mm -hmm. 2004 and then in uh, 2005 i went up and tested for eagle river and uh was a resident firefighter for there for two years and then got hired full time and ended up being up there for seven years. And then, yeah, 2012 got hired here. And, yep. Um, what was the, because I was a resident too. Oh, you were? Not nearly as glamorous a place as Vail. Okay. It was like this little podunk, Southwest Washington. Okay. Like, and they stuck you out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, how was it for you? I mean, like, did you have, have to be there like five days a week and do so many hours a week or yeah, how did that work for you so guys? it was pretty uh pretty um structured up there when yeah. the program had been around since the 70s mm -hmm. and there was a a lot of residents i think there was you know 30 or 40 residents when i got in there but they put you through an academy which was five the academy was five days a week you live at the firehouse uh, you know mm -hmm. every day day or off and um, then the weekends you had one shift, you had to work with the crew and then you had one day off. Yeah. So I did that for, I think it was 16 weeks or 14 weeks, I think was the Academy. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it was very, it was perfect for me because I honestly needed to grow up a little bit. Like I'd been tested. I tested for the Springs when I was 18 and, yeah. uh, I needed, I needed that to, to go grow up a little bit. And it was perfect for me up there. A great group of guys and the Academy was really good. Um, Don Vanderland, his brother, actually taught my okay. academy. Okay. And uh, um, Ryan Royal came out and helped, and Trevor Leland helped. So, okay. um, yeah, it was uh, it was good. It was a good good academy and I was a good, say, good way to get in. Ours was 
pretty loose. Like you really? just had to show up. But I mean, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. But I couldn't imagine. It's interesting that you say that it was structured, because it it almost have to be like you're in a resort town. Like yeah. people could get, <laughs> yeah. get kind of carried away. I could imagine, you know, being yeah. young and oh, yeah. you know unattached and you know maybe uh, making a little money. Uh, you know, I I needed that structure for sure. Yeah, I, I either needed that or I needed the military. I needed something very <laughs> very structured at that point in my life. And did you know that military wasn't the path for you because all the moving and what you had experienced yeah. as a kid? Honestly, uh, I have a long family history. Both my great grandpas fought in World War One. My dad's dad was shot in Normandy in World War Two. He didn't, you know, obviously die. But yeah. um, and then my grandpa on my mom's side was a general in Vietnam, and then yeah. my dad, you know, was in for twenty one years. And yeah. so, and uh, it was a little, a little different. My I think my grandpa wanted me to go to West Point. And yeah, I'm like, I don't feel like you've seen my grades. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that'd be a good idea. <laughs> but I just I just wanted to do my own thing. I yeah. honestly, uh, I just wanted to make my own path, and uh, the fire service always interests me. I wanted a family, yeah. and I saw how much my dad was gone. Yeah. He really was in. I mean, he was in Bosnia, but he was pretty much in during peacetime. So, yeah. um, anyway, I, I knew I, I just kind of wanted to do my own thing. Was he? What did he do in the military? So he was an infantry officer. Okay. So, um, yeah. We had um, most people don't know, but the tenth group came through about a year ago and they used some of our stations and they were doing a, a full-scale exercise oh i didn't know that That's cool. and so what they were doing is is so they were um the exercise was they're in a country that's friendly to the united states and they wake up in the next morning the government's been overthrown and now they're not friendly so they're ex they need to extract themselves from that country and so they literally like they had to tell pd like <clears throat> we're going to have all these weird things going on and they had to give their folks cards so if they got pulled over or cornered or you know something like going through neighborhoods trying to extract themselves they could show this card and say hey i'm part of the exercise huh. and, and do all these things but all that to be said um the sergeant the special forces sergeant that was organizing all this had said he'd been in like 22 years and it was all war and he That's said he crazy. was just tired he was just tired of it like Not he bad. was just He's just tired of being at war, you know, yeah. which is crazy to think about how long, like his whole career, like you said, your dad was at during, during peacetime, but his whole career, he didn't know anything but conflict. Yeah. You know, I could see that would, how that would wear on, uh, wear on people. Yeah. Now your siblings, you have siblings? I do. I got two brothers and two sisters. Any of them military? No. They Nothing, all, huh? no, they all, they ends all with you guys. Thing, it's the generation that ends it. I know. Yeah. Look at back, you know, I, yeah, I just want to do my own thing and, but yeah, they. No, they all, I mean that's good. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they all support you, and I don't. Yeah, doesn't hurt them too much. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit, a little pride. <laughs> yeah, maybe. definitely. My grandpa was like, "What you guys? Yeah. Are <laughs> that's not how it goes yeah. in this family." Yeah. But <laughs> okay. Think, yeah. So we're here doing the self help, uh, self help um, series, um, and you have a story. Um, you have a story related to substance abuse. So how we do this is, is I just give you the mic. I'm not going to interrupt you. You just tell your story. Okay. Um, I'm here to support you however I can. Uh, like I told you off air, I have a naturally curious mind. So I'll be writing stuff down here and that's not, I'm not taking notes to, to pin them on you later. I'm just like, I'll have questions for you at the end or, or maybe I okay. won't. And, um, but the mic is yours to do with what you will. And, and, uh, we'll go from there. Okay, and if you do have questions, feel free to 
right. jump in. So sounds yeah. good. Take it away. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a hard subject, but I think it's important to get out and talk. Um, my substance abuse started at a real young age, so I don't have a family history of it really. Uh, a little bit maybe with one of my grandpas, but uh, my good dad really didn't drink, and uh, my mom, and so I was kind of the first, I guess, to struggle with this. But I started the first time I ever used marijuana. I was 12 years old at a Boy Scout camp, um, and then I ended up using different things all through high school, mainly marijuana and alcohol. Um, but starting at such a young age, now I know that that kind of sets you up for addiction problems down the road. Um, so and moving forward with my own kids, that's something I'm definitely very cognizant of. Um, but used different things all through high school, like I said, and then the fire service, that's why I, I needed that structure. Once I, I knew that's what I wanted to do, I, I stopped everything but drinking. I kept drinking and... Uh, yeah, um, you know, up up in Vail, I you know would you know I was younger than a lot of guys, so I couldn't necessarily go to the bars, but they would they would get me in, or I would be drinking. But that that's just just what I did up there was drink, and then uh, fast forward. Um, once I started having kids, and I I just didn't think there was very many positive things from drinking. And I ended up just completely quitting drinking and quitting, um, yeah, just being sober. And um, I was sober for a few years after I had kids. Um, and then uh, my story is a little different than others. Um, I started using something called Kratom, K-R-A-T-O-M, and it's a... It's a leaf from Southeast Asia. It's legal. They grind it up into a powder. And at the time, um, I had three little kids. My twins were two months early. They had been in the NICU, were home on oxygen, and um, wasn't sleeping. <laughs> wasn't sleeping at home. I wasn't sleeping at work. I was a station eight at the time. Uh, my wife was a stay-at-home mom, and you know, we just bought this house in Black Forest. Literally, we closed on it the week before, and then a week after, we found out we were having twins yeah. so I decided you know I needed to do something so I started studying for the driver test and um, I was exhausted uh, to put it mildly and I was looking for something that would be just a natural energy booster that I could find that you know wasn't just caffeine and energy drinks and so I did a little research and found this stuff and um, you know I went to this basically tea store and the way it was sold to me was this was something that was in the coffee family and it's not caffeine you just take a little bit and you'll have some energy and I'm like perfect so I uh I got it I started using it just you know when I would study at night or when uh, maybe as a pre-workout I was pretty innocent when I started um and I used it through that um those six months and then I ended up going on a family vacation and so this I've probably this is summer of 2019, and uh, so I go on this family vacation and I start feeling withdrawals. And I know what withdrawals are. I, in 2008, I was in a motorcycle accident, and broke my femur, and ended up being on uh, oxycotton and Percocet and all that for for months. And I had a doctor, thankfully, who was like, "You've been on this too long," and just cut me off cold turkey. And I was you know pissed at the time, but. Uh, 
now looking back, I'm very thankful for that. But I went through withdrawals a little bit, not hard. You know, I was using them as I was supposed to, but I, uh, I definitely cutting cold turkey after two months of using them every day. I, I was pretty sick for a week. And so this was a very similar feeling to that. And I was really taken back because I didn't know what was happening. I did a little research though, and I figured out this Kratom stuff, even though it's not a, it's not an opioid, it actually hits your opioid receptors. Um, and so I told my wife at the time and, uh, she didn't, didn't take it real well. Honestly, I pretty much could have been doing heroin in her eyes and, um, she was upset I hadn't told her and I'm, yeah, I honestly didn't even know this was a thing. Um, but I ended up finding some out there and, um, I made a plan to just taper off and you know I wasn't taking it even every day at this point I was just taking it a few times a week when I would work out or whatever um because yeah the driver test was done at this point so we get back and I start tapering off and then uh I start um I come home from shift one day and uh my wife had left and taken my kids and I really didn't see it coming um and uh, this started a long two-year custody battle and divorce, and it was uh, it was pretty pretty brutal time for me. I uh, the first court date, she tried to use my addiction to kratom against me, and I knew she was going to do this. I knew she was going to try and use whatever, and so I'm like, well, I'm not going to jeopardize my time with my kids for. Um, this stupid plant so I just cut cut myself off just quit cold turkey um, and I was sick I mean it wasn't terrible but I felt like I had the flu for like a week um, and this stuff's legal I mean you can buy it all over this city um, and it doesn't it doesn't impair you it doesn't like intoxicate you like other things but it hits those receptors and you just you feel really good um, and so I completely was sober for a few months going through this divorce and I ended up losing my kids a second time for some pretty horrible allegations. And uh, I just kind of, I kind of went in a, a tailspin and um, I started drinking almost, almost every day I was off um, and I hadn't drank for years. And uh, I just knew I was gonna, I was gonna get in trouble. I was either gonna get a DUI or I was gonna get in a fight. Just the, the level of drinking, I went from zero to, to full bore. And so I'm like, well, I have this Kratom stuff that doesn't impair me. I'll just, you know, I've gotten it off of it once before. I'll just take this or I'll replace alcohol with this and I'll just use it through the divorce. Um, a side note to all this is we got some great people on this department um, that really took really good care of me. All those guys at AIDS, uh, you know, all, you know, my buddy Brad White and John Giacoma, Mike Oliveira, all those guys took really good care of me uh, during this time, um, giving me a place to live, you know, whatever I needed, those guys were there for me. And uh, yeah, but I, uh, I didn't tell anybody about this stuff. I kept it very, you know, hidden as, you know, my little thing. And in my mind, I justified it because I wasn't using alcohol and this stuff wasn't illegal and I wasn't impaired. So I was fine. Um, but I ended up taking it and, uh, like these things do, you build up a tolerance you start taking more. Um, and I started, I started taking it every day and I took it every day for over two years. And 
now the divorce is done at this point and I'm like, I have to start tapering off. I have to stop this because I'm starting to have health problems. Like my blood work is coming back all screwed up. My liver enzymes are all messed up. And I didn't tell my doctor what was going on. I, uh, I didn't tell anyone. And uh, my sides would hurt in the morning. And just to give you a perspective, when I started taking this, I would take like four to six grams a day. And at the end of the two years, I was taking 30 or 40 grams a day um, of this powder. And uh, I became a slave to it. Um, I'd have to take it five or six times a day, or I would start withdrawing. I'd have to take it before bed at night. And at two in the morning, I'd wake up and have to take more just to sleep the rest of the night. I'd wake up just drenched in sweat, body aches, um, like legit withdrawal symptoms. and I was, I was in a real dark place because I hadn't told people. Um, I was terrified of my ex finding out and using this to take my children from me. I was embarrassed. Um, and, you know, people didn't know what it was. It's not a common thing. I mean, I think it's becoming more common, um, but it was not. People don't really know what it is. Um, but we ended up... Um, and I, you know, I would, besides just the blood work, like I lost strength, it, it kind of suppresses your appetite. So I wouldn't be hungry a lot. I lost a lot of weight. I lost a lot of strength. Um, I just was not, I was not in a good place. And my entire life honestly revolved around either having some or making sure I had some, like I would be so stressed out of like a family vacation because, well, I can't take, you know, I don't, can't take this on an airplane, you know, what, what am I going to do? Or or, you know, I always had to have some somewhere and uh, just living that for that long was miserable. It wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't fun at all. I don't know if it was ever fun, but it definitely wasn't even making me feel good anymore. I literally was just taking it to not be sick. Um, and we ended up having a fire. I think the AR is actually going to come out soon on uh, Vermaho. And it was a good fire, but I didn't work real hard on it. You know, the other firefighter, he VES the window. Um, we did a search. We didn't find anybody, but I came out of that fire and was puking. And you know, everyone thought, you know, it's just a, it was a hot fire. He's just a little tired, but really, I was withdrawing. And uh, after that shift, I, I went home and just had to take an honest look in the mirror. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not impaired here, but I'm putting all these guys at risk. I'm putting my um, these citizens that I swore I was going to protect at risk. And uh, yeah, just just going through the withdrawals and not being at a hundred percent. So, I knew I needed to uh, to make a change, and uh, I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to. That was the time I finally was like, I have to ask for help because I've gone for six months trying to taper off, and I haven't done it. And so, um, uh, Lieutenant Royal, um, he uh, is a great lieutenant, and he had already kind of picked up something was wrong. Actually, the morning I was going to tell him. He pulled me aside and was like, hey, is everything okay? Um, and I, that really opened the door to me. You know, I was going to tell him anyway, but it just made it that much easier to just sit down. I'm like, no, I, I got to tell you something when we get back to the station. And uh, that, you know, him saying that, but I, I think that gut feeling we have when something's kind of off with either a buddy or a coworker, to just don't ignore that. I think that uh, you ask him asking that question even though I was going to tell him that day um I think for somebody that could go a long way that would just open that door 
for somebody that may be right on that fence of like, oh, should I say something or should I not? And him just saying that, like, hey, you know, is everything okay? Um, just having that gut feeling. We've known each other a while. Um, yeah, that makes a difference. So uh, moving forward, you know, don't don't ignore that gut feeling when you have that and just asking guys, you know, everything all right? So I sat down, um, just him. Again, I'm, I'm terrified at this point because I don't know how the job's going to take it. I don't know how. I'm terrified still my ex find it out. I'm embarrassed, like I said. I, um, I'm just not, I'm not in a good place. And so he was the only one initially, you know, that I told. And then um, he ended up calling Chief McConnellog and, uh, you know, we might have some problems here and there on this department, but we have some great people on this job. And she made it very clear that the way I had handled it coming forward, that my job was completely safe and then they're going to take, you know, take care of me. And uh, that was such a weight uh, uh, lifted off to know that, um, you know, this part of my life was going to at least be be there when I got through this. Um, and they uh, they talked to Dr. Bronski actually that day, and we had a conference call with Chief McConnell and Dr. Bronski. And Chief McConnell, like, you know, and, and Lieutenant Royal hadn't heard about this stuff, but uh, Dr. Bronski had, and he'd seen it in the ER. And he had said, based on the timeline of how long I'd been taking it and the amount I'd been taking, that I needed to be medically detoxed. You know, they're worried about, uh, you know, seizures. And so they're like, you just, you need to keep taking the amount you're taking and until we get you in a rehab facility. So I got taken offline that day. Um, my, uh, yeah, I told my, my folks, you know, um, and my brother and sister, you know, so they could help me with the kids and stuff. Cause again, I was really worried that, you know, somehow this was going to jeopardize my time with them. Um, and, uh, then Judith Long was another one that was just amazing. Um, they ended up giving me a couple different options, but the place that, Judith really thought I needed to go was the Center of Excellence out in Maryland, which is, I don't, for people that don't know, it's a substance abuse and mental health facility uh, for union firefighters. The only one just for firefighters in the country right now. They're building a second one out in California right now. Um, but she thought that that was the place I needed to go. Um, and yeah, they had a lot of success with that that place, and I actually was the first one from Colorado Springs to go out there. Um, I had had a uh, friend who worked for a department up north who actually had been out at the facility for a number of different things, and I had told him a little bit, and he actually ended up flying out there with me. And so let me back up just a little bit. It's hard to get a spot out there. It takes some time, and know we got great people and they pulled some strings and somehow a week later I'm sitting on a flight going out to Maryland um, and my buddy actually from up north ended up flying out there with me which was really cool um, so uh, I get out to this facility um, and I'm withdrawing pretty hard now um, it's the first time in you know over two years I haven't taken this for more than you know this is you know five hours now and i'm haven't taken any and i'm withdrawing and so the facility is set up um they have a check-in area where you come in you're quarantined for 24 hours 
and then you're, they have a detox place um, that you can be in, and then they have four different firehouses that are set up. And they really are set up like a firehouse with bunk rooms. So you have bunk rooms off of a big uh, like living room area, and it has firefighters from all over the country there. So the, the start that first uh, couple days I was in the detox area, um, you know, 24-hour nurses, and uh, I was miserable. They put me on seizure meds. They put me on muscle relaxers. They put me on nausea medicine. They put me on all this stuff to sleep. And uh, they offered me actually methadone. They knew all about it out there. They're actually seeing uh, a lot of firefighters using it because it's legal. It honestly probably starts pretty innocent for a lot of them. And there was two other guys, a guy from Florida, a guy from New York, who were addicted to it and out there for that stuff when I was out there. Um, but the first night I remember just shivering in my bed, just muscle aches. I felt like I had bugs crawling all over me, vomiting, um, just miserable, legit withdrawals. And I'm just sitting in my hoodie, shivering in my bed, and I'm watching this other guy drinking the hand sanitizer because he's addicted to alcohol. <laughs> And I'm just like, what have I done with my life? This is where I am right now. Um, but that that facility ended up being amazing. They, uh, I went through uh, four different doctors that diagnose you with things. Um, you go through all this individual counseling. You go through um, a psychologist that um, diagnose you. And then they all kind of come together and you get uh, one person that kind of makes a plan for you. And you don't know how long you're going to be out there, which was one of the hardest parts for me being away from my kids and um, not knowing how long I was going to be away. Um, so I was in the detox for a few days. I came out and then I ended up going back in because I was still I was still all screwed up. Um, it took me probably two weeks of pretty hard withdrawals. Um, and then I didn't really start feeling good until that third. You know, the docs out there, like I said, had known all about it. And they, they said this is going to be like an opioid withdrawal, um, which I have very you know minimal experience with. But it was, uh, it was a lot more miserable than that first time, for sure. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm glad I went through that because I honestly and didn't use the methadone, even though that might have been an easier path. I, I needed to go through that pain, and I never want to go back to that. Um, so besides from once I got out of the detox area, um, you're in class seven days a week, seven hours a day, <laughs> um, all kinds of classes, classes from, you know, they, they have two main paths. They have a substance abuse path and a mental health path. Initially, I was on the substance abuse path. And then they, I ended up in the mental health a little bit, and then they basically put me, I could go to either one, whatever I wanted to really kind of at the end. Um, I also got you know diagnosed with PTSD, um, anxiety, and depression. Um, I think a lot of my anxiety was caused by my use of this stuff though. Um, just being worried that, you know, I'm gonna lose everything. You know, what happens if I you know, crash a rig and I freaking have this stuff in my system? I don't know what's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I think a lot of my anxiety was caused by that. Um, but the depression, you know, just from all, you know, everything and then the, the PTSD from, you know, 17 years of firefighting. So yeah, um, the, the program was, was really good though. The classes that were 
we're really good and you're in there with all firefighters and we're really all the same it was you know there's different accents you know the east coast guys are making fun of the california <laughs> guys and uh but it you know firefighters are firefighters um and that was i don't know how i would have done in a normal rehab facility because out there they i mean they had rules they you know they took your phone away you only had your phone a couple hours a week which i you know at first i was real frustrated with i was like oh, i got to talk to my kids and all this but i needed that i needed that taken away and just focus on myself, focus on um, getting better, getting healthy. And I ended up being out there for five weeks, which was definitely longer than I thought I was going to be out there. Um, but I needed that. I needed it more than I knew, more than just the substance abuse stuff. Um, I needed it for all the stuff with the divorce, all the stuff with uh, some other things from my past um, that I need, hadn't worked through. and. Uh, honestly they get to the root of why like, why do you do this why do you use why do you self-medicate and they they peel those layers back and that takes time and uh for anyone going out there you know you have to do the work you have to open yourself up and you have to be honest or it's not going to work that's that's the only way that place a place like that works but being out there with you know brothers and sisters from all over the country um and realizing you know we're all broken together and we're all here and we're going to get through this together and um, really made that program um, very, very positive in my life. Um, so uh, I ended up being out there for, like I said, five weeks and uh, Lieutenant Royal actually flew all the way out, <laughs> got a rental car and came and picked me up and brought me back. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't actually any other <laughs> bosses going out there to get a, get a guy and bring him back. So that sure meant a lot to me. Um, and then that program actually keeps in contact with you for, I think, 18 months after you leave. The, leave. Um, they give you, a, they call it a rap sheet of basically if you um, start to relapse or you start having trouble, here's a plan of how, how to, um, what to do, a very practical plan and you basically build that through the last couple of weeks you're there and then they check in on you um and then apart from that you know i was involved with uh they had aa at night um i mean you can make the most of your time out there a lot of guys you need to go sit around and watch tv at night and um but i really tried you know i knew how how many people it took to get me out there and make this work so I really tried to make the most of my time out there. So I would go to AA at night. Um, yeah, I'd read my Bible in the morning. I just tried to squeeze everything I could out of that, that time out there. And I, I truly feel like I did. Um, I met some, some really good guys out there and guys I still stay in contact with, you know, going through that for that long. Um, you get real close with guys. And um, it was, uh, it was definitely, it was a, it was a very good experience, but it was very hard. Uh, but I would definitely encourage anyone that's really struggling uh, to at least take a look at that option because uh, the the counselors, the nurses, the docs out there, they were all amazing. The the guy that actually runs the place, he was in the military, <coughs> but he had uh, originally come from a fire family. All his, you know, I think he'd been like third generation, but he, uh, the department wasn't hiring out on the East Coast where he's from. And then, uh, so he went in the military and then 9-11 happened. So he ended up staying in for 20, 
20 years and then he finished his career at john hopkins doing stuff with ptsd and uh he uh yeah he sets the stage for that place and it shows so i generally felt like those people cared and um it was a it was a real good experience so um yeah i came back and feel feel so much better i mean like i said i felt like a such a slave for for years um in such a dark place you know being able to come back now and be the dad and firefighter that i know i can be um and uh yeah i'm in just such a better such a better place than i was um and uh i definitely feel got feel for guys that struggle with things um i know you know we got a big department now and I guarantee there's guys right now struggling with it. And um, I know, I'm sure people have heard this a lot, but the hardest part is just asking for help. Um, but I can say from personal experience, once I finally just went out there and, and did it and got past that hurdle of asking for help, that weight lifted off my shoulders was indescribable. Um, so I just encourage guys, if you're, if you're really struggling to, uh, to make that step, that's the hardest part. And if you can just get through that, all those other pieces are going to fall into place. So um, whether that's talking to a peer supporter, just talking to one of your guys at the station or talking to a counselor. um, Yeah. Now that I'm back here, you know, the, I know my, my work is not done. Like I uh, am a bit advocate now of counseling. Like I go to counseling uh, a couple times a month. Um, And a little side note to that place out there, the, if you went to counseling every day for one hour or every week for one hour, it would take you over five years to get the same amount of counseling that you had out of that facility. So um, I've had a lot of counseling, but I'm, a, I'm an advocate now. You just got to find the right one. Um, I, I hadn't really big a big fan, but I hadn't found the right counselor, and, and I feel like I have now. And um, that that's a big, big uh, positive and something I definitely am going to continue to do and work on. And um, and then finding other other things, you know, I obviously have an addictive personality and that's not something that just goes away. Um, so, you know, staying, keep myself out of certain situations, that place I used to buy that stuff from, I don't even, I don't even drive by there. Um, and for me, I, you know, I don't have necessarily anything against alcohol, but for me, I just have to be 100% sober. It just makes things easy for me to just be like all or, cause I'll be all or nothing I feel like. And it's real easy for me to go down that path so um i've just had to find other activities you know i got real into jujitsu the last couple of years so something physical like that something uh, that i can just kind of sink my te- teeth into and uh be uh, addicted in a positive way i guess um so i just bring all that up to say that you know that work doesn't just stop because you made it through the the rehab facility honestly that's like the starting point and uh, it's going to be something that I'll probably struggle with or at least in the back of my mind know that I have a weakness in this area the rest of my life. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my uh, the down and dirty in my story. And Sure. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that strike me. Talk to, talk to us a little bit about support outside the facility. You talked a little bit about Ryan. Um, but before we went on air, you talked about, you know, you're close with Brad yep. and how beneficial it was to talk to somebody who was also an addict. Yep. 
you know, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Yeah. Um, having somebody that understands what you're going through, um, having the same experiences is pretty vital. So, uh, like I said, my, my family doesn't really have addiction history. And so, you know, in, in their minds, they're just like, well, just don't do it. Like, yeah, great. Uh, but having somebody that understands that, that weakness, that, that, you know, voice in your head of like, well, you just have to do this, just do this, just do it, you know, this constant and understanding that, um, those triggers and understanding the support that that person needs is, is, is crucial. And I, honestly, some of my best buddies have been, you know, either alcoholics or addicts at some point in their lives. Um, and they have, uh, you know, I'll use Brad, you know, Brad is one of my, my best buddies and he is a huge encouragement to me. He checks in on me, you know, he asks me quite, you know, he'll just straight up ask me, um, you know, are you using anything? And he's a guy I've never lied to and I'm not going to. And, uh, having a guy like that is, is crucial. Um, but then just having the, you know, other guys that understand where you're coming from, understand that this is a, a struggle that just doesn't just go away. Um, and having them keep an eye on you is, uh, is, you know, super important. Um, you know, we're a family, we're a team here and, uh, you know, I feel like no one gets through all this life on our own. So it's, uh, yeah, it's real important. And uh, I'm sure thankful for those guys. And hopefully one day I can be that guy for somebody else. So. The first step to every 12-step program, admitting you have a problem, right? Yep. How long did it take you to go from admitting you have a problem to you to ready to talk to Ryan? Uh I think it took me a couple months, honestly, to really. So I, I guess, let me back up. I knew I had a problem when I was not able to taper off by myself. I knew that's, and even before that, I guess, I knew I had a problem when I knew I, my life was revolving around this and I was becoming enslaved to it. But I really realized I had a problem when I wasn't able to stop on my own. Um, and, you know, I, I would taper off for a little while and I would be doing really good for a couple months. And then something would trigger me and I would just be like, I screw it. I don't want to feel sick today because when I'm tapering off, I'm not you're not necessarily withdrawing like full blown withdrawals, but you don't feel good. You feel sick, you know, and um, so it was just that period of time where I didn't think I was able to do it on my own and uh, knew that final, the final step was that fire where I went home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I just, I knew I was jeopardizing other guys' lives and I knew I was jeopardizing, you know, I wasn't being the kind of firefighter that I had sworn I was going to be. And uh, just having that honest conversation with myself as hard and as humbling as that was, that was the, the final like, catalyst to push me into asking for help. Mm-hmm. And then once you asked for help, it seems like that's, you got the flood of help. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's out there. Like I said, we, we have great people on this job. You know, uh, there was guys from other parts of the country, they don't have that support. They're fighting for their jobs while they're out there because they came forward, necessarily, not necessarily getting mm-hmm. in trouble even. I mean, there was guys that got in trouble that got forced, you know, voluntold out there. Mm-hmm. But there were guys that just went forward like, hey, I have this problem. This is what I've been doing. 
and they're fighting for their jobs. Um, so we uh, we have a great place here with great people, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it's very humbling, but it's uh, it's pretty amazing what we have here. And I mean, the, I would think that that's what we want for uh, you know department. You know, if you got a guy, you've put all this money and time training to have just you know throw him to the side if you know he has this issue and it just look like you know your your broken farm equipment now mm-hmm. as opposed to i mean we have a, a bunch of success stories you know brad and john uh chief Vaughn. i mean all, all these guys that have struggled with stuff and gotten through the other side and now are a positive you know contributing member and uh yeah so i i think we have a great great department here with great people and I truly think that's the mindset that we got to have moving forward. So this is a little side story, but it shows the level of addiction I had. So I ended up getting pneumonia um, in the middle of all this stuff, of the middle of the divorce and stuff. But I was, you know, addicted to the, the Kratom during this time. And um, I had waited way too long to go to the hospital. I was coughing blood up. And I finally go to the hospital and they take chest x-ray. I think I remember that. Yeah, yeah, so I was in the hospital. Well, I took that stuff into the hospital with me. And the nurses, you know, they're on on all this stuff. They come in because it's mid-COVID and they would leave and I would eat a bunch of this powder, just dump it in my mouth. And I'm just looking back how crazy that was now. Well, while I was in the hospital, I developed blood clots in my legs. So they ended up having to intubate me and put a camera down in my lungs to see how much bleeding was still going on, if they could give me blood thinners. And uh, I woke up from being put under, and the room's all jacked up, and these poor nurses are just looking at me, and I'm like, did I wake up in the middle of this? And they're like, yeah. And so I guess um, they're like, you have a real high tolerance to opioids. And I'm like, what? I haven't taken opioids since I broke my leg. Well, I think think it was those like just me looking back I'm like I think it was those receptors that I had just been you know abusing over time that they had to give me so much sedative to try and you know put this camera down and you know I woke up but I just bring that up to show how how addicted I was how unlogical like that would have been the perfect time to detox while I'm in the hospital like I already feel miserable anyway but mm-hmm. you know I, I didn't yeah that level of addiction is deep um so so how are you? I'm good now. I'm a lot better. I mean, like I said, it's always a, it's always going to be a struggle for me. It's stuff I have to set myself up for success. Like I said, I don't drive by the place I used to get it. For months, I didn't do that. I don't put myself in certain situations. But um, I'm so much better, so much better than I was. Um, you know, even though I, you know, I tell myself I wasn't impaired just even worrying about that all the time and being around my kids like now I'm just all there and I'm not worried about something else I'm not have all my anxiety is way lower I mean uh I've got off a lot of the the medications I was initially on with that um because I think it was all caused and snowballed honestly my depression too just kind of all that substance just contributed and just kind of snowballed that so I'm doing really really good now um just learn how to be a single dad and um yeah I'm uh, doing a lot better so hopefully one day you know I can help someone else and have this conversation and help somebody else out there so well you're smiling a lot more than I've seen in a while yeah which is good even <laughs> yeah. even through the struggles of telling telling the story I know you're nervous and 
Um, it's got to be hard to kind of bury your soul to everybody. Um, you still kind of had a smile going the whole time. Like yeah, I could, I could tell you were thinking about stuff that, w- that was kind of making you happy, and and that's good. It's good to see. Um, I want to um, remind everybody, and we've done this on all the interviews. Um, if you're having trouble with any kind of struggles, whether it's substance abuse or mental health, talk to somebody. Find somebody you trust within the organization, and that could be a, a peer counselor. It could be, you know, using an open door policy for you know Chief McConnell or Chief Royal or myself. Um, we simply want to get you the help that you need. Um, we're not here to judge you. We're not here to you know, hey, say hey, you're you're, you're teetering the line on the line of losing your job here. That's that's not the point. We want to get back a whole employee. Um, because we have good people in this fire department, and if they're whole, they're they're not only better people, they're happier people, but they're better employees for us too. So that's that's our goal. So if you if you think you're struggling with something, please please talk to somebody um, before it gets out of control and, and out of hand, and um, you know, and you can't do anything about it. You know, um, it's when we start getting DUIs and and start doing things that are you know, driven by the substance that you can't you you, you can't necessarily control. Um, that's that's when we struggle with you know the job thing and, and stuff like that. So recognize that you have a problem and then also be willing to ask for help. So anything that, that you'd like to add? Anything that we forgot? Uh, yeah, I just want to put it out there. If if guys are struggling, you know, I just want to open the door up. You know, I'm I'm not on the Pierce team yet but that's in the process I'd like to be down the road but uh, specifically um, the if they want to talk about that center of excellence I'm happy to sit down and talk about any, anything or specifically that though um, if guys are thinking about going out there um, I could talk firsthand about everything um, and uh, I'm happy to do it so if guys if guys want to talk I'm, I'm out it's an open door and yeah just give me a call so um, and then like you said, that that first step's the hardest step. I know guys keep hearing that, but uh, just that that weight and that anxiety and stress of just finally this huge secret I have is out and it's done and we're going to deal with it um, is uh, it's life changing. So that first step's the hardest step, and then those pieces fall into place. So, all right, we're here for you. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thanks, Thanks for Chief. coming on and sharing your story. Thanks, Chief. Appreciate right. it. Absolutely.